What's going on, guys? Welcome to the second of Midweek Cycle on the Go, second episode of the Midweek Cycle on the Go with Brett Loftus and Zach Swindell. As always, we have a special guest for you guys today, Junior Mass Communications, Sports Communications. Sports Communications. Sports Communications major here at Piedmont College. And your starting first baseman, excuse me, third baseman, probably the best arm on the team, probably the best glove on the team, not to hype him up, but he knows a thing or two about baseball because he's seeing a thing or two. Mr. Connor Jelly. Connor, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. So, really excited to have Connor here today. Um, we had Presley on our last one, so just keeping that baseball feel, baseball mentality here on the podcast. If you guys do enjoy baseball, tune in to our weekly radio show, The Midweek Cycle on Z98.7 FM, the student radio station at Piedmont College every Wednesday at 4 p.m. We'll also have guests for you on there. It's all about Major League Baseball and the Atlanta Braves. We're going to focus a lot on the Braves today, as in the first game of the NLDS, the Braves scored six runs in the seventh inning and were able to make it back. Most runs they've scored in a playoff game in an inning since the 1998 NLCS against the San Diego Padres. And the Braves, Swindy, just go ahead and kind of start off with that. The bats have finally come alive in the playoffs. Marcelo Zuna was hitting well today. Ronnie hit well today. And then obviously, you know, Dan's been hitting the tank. And then Travis Darnold you know, got on base five times today, four for four, and then he drew a walk as well. How do you think that this is going to help the Braves continue now that, that the bats are alive and they don't really have to depend on pitching? Yeah, like today's game, I didn't get to catch much of it because of class and had baseball practice. But the best thing about today's win was that Max Fried, our guy, our ace all year, he didn't have his best stuff today, and which is going to happen like we were talking about earlier in the podcast. Sometimes your guys aren't going to have their, their best stuff, and today Max Fried did not. But we still were able to pull up the win. That's a huge positive. We were also able to get that win with Max Fried struggling a little bit. He gave up a few runs early, but our offense exploded for him. We ended up getting the win at the end of the day. So I think if our offense can score, you know, eight, nine runs a game, ten runs against the Marlins, we're going to win. We're going to get the sweep. But, I mean, that's not that's not likely that we're going to – we're not going to score eight runs, nine runs a game. So, hopefully, Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, those type of dudes can come out uh, in the next couple of games and really give us some good outings. Now, Jelly, you hit, what, two home runs regular season ball last year? Yeah, before COVID. Yeah, before COVID. Now, do, do you – are you a big fan of pipping home runs? I mean, honestly, I think uh, if you know it, show it. You know? Now, looking at Ronnie, you know, today, he, you know, hit a leadoff home run, 19th. Uh, he's at 19 regular season leadoff home runs, most in Braves franchise history. He's probably pimped a good 18, maybe all 19 of those. Now, in looking at that, he comes up for a second at bat. Sandy Alcantara, you know, nails him in the buttocks with about a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. Now, like you said, you're you're with the pimping the home runs and stuff like that. Do you think it's right if someone does pimp a home run? Do you think they deserve to get hit in their next A-B? I mean, if you look at it this way, the game of baseball is very competitive. You know, it's a very competitive game from both sides. You know, pitching-wise, you want to dominate and you want to show that you're there to basically fill up the strike zone and intimidate pretty much any hitter you can, especially in the major leagues. You're looking for a fastball. And fastballs nowadays are averaging – their average fastball speed is close to 96 miles an hour, you know. And um, when you're throwing cheddar like that, I think your job is to intimidate the opponent. But at the same time, you know, when you hit a leadoff bomb like Ronnie did – you know, you're setting the tone right then and there. So you might as well just go ahead and say, hey, we're here. We're going to dominate you instead of you dominating us. But in that case, I think it's more of you got to be able to control your anger on the mound. 
you know, you got to be able to just flush that away because, I mean, Ronnie hit that one bomb, right? And then the Marlins went off for four in three innings. So I think, you know, hitting someone is not the necessary way to go about it. You know, I think it's just showing that you have bad sportsmanship, you know, especially in the case of a playoff game when tensions are hot. And I agree with that 100%. I mean, that's the fifth time that the Marlins have hit Ronald Acuna Jr. in his short, you know, three-year major league career. And looking at that, you know, all the stuff that, you know, you can say or whatever, I mean, it's definitely intentional. I felt like Sandy Alcantara's uh, pitch that hit Ronald in game one was definitely intentional. He said after the game, if Ronald would have wanted to fight, he would have been ready to fight. But honestly, he did the Braves a favor. I mean, the Braves lineup, quite frankly, got pissed off after that. They went out in the bottom of the third. Uh, and after Ronnie got hit, they go off for two runs. Obviously, we've already talked about the seventh inning in which they scored six runs. So I really think Ronald getting hit today really, you know, fired up the Braves lineup, and I think that was very good for the Braves in general. Looking forward to game two, Swindy. We'll start with you here first. Ann Anderson went out, pitched a gym in his first ever in his postseason debut, like we've talked about here before. What do you expect in game two? Because like we talked about in the first episode, the Marlins are going to know in Anderson. They're going to know what he's pitching. They're going to know what he's throwing. Do you expect the Braves to give up some runs tomorrow, or do you expect it to be more or less like what happened in game two in a wild card game? Yeah, I mean, I don't expect Ian Anderson to go out and do what he did in the wild card game. I mean, I would love to, I would love to see that for the Braves. That's huge for them. But that's, that's a great, great start for any pitcher, especially a rookie, especially a guy that hasn't made many starts in the big leagues this year. Um, but I could see him at least going, you know, six, seven, maybe a couple earned runs. But that's that's also a great start. But he's not going to go out there every time and throw seven scoreless and a two hitter or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I'm hoping. I think tomorrow my prediction for tomorrow would be he goes six, six and two thirds, something like that. Maybe one, two earned runs, and we end up winning. I think they, I think we'll get the one tomorrow behind him. I think uh, our guys like playing behind him. Such a young guy. He's fun to be around from what I've heard on Twitter and stuff like that. I obviously don't know the guy. But uh, I think they like playing behind him. He, he plays with some energy as well. And with our guys, what they did today, I think they're going to keep on continuing to hit the ball like they did and score maybe seven, eight runs again. And to be a 23-year-old, he's so mature out there on the field. Yeah. A very mature guy. And to move on to you here, Jelly, first time you face the pitcher, obviously the pitcher is going to have the advantage. You guys usually um, within your division in the USA South Conference, when you play in division – conference baseball you're gonna have a home and away so say we face a team here jelly you, you never had any battle for them we play a freshman if he's starting their saturday up there you're gonna know how to tee up on him right not exactly no. not exactly so how does the marlins able to time up in anderson tomorrow well i think it's just kind of you know they're at a, they're at a higher level of baseball they have a higher iq you know so honestly even in the major leagues for guys who haven't seen a certain dude a certain amount of times, so they're still going to be able to time, time them up because that's their job. You know, they're some of the best hitters in the entire world. I mean, clearly you want Ian Anderson to go out and do what he did in the wild card game. Well, that's not baseball, you know. He can do it. He might even go eight. You never know. He might throw a complete game ball. But at the same time, you have to be expected of such a young guy like him. You know, there's going to be days where the playoffs get the best of them, you know. And I think, you know, the Marlins – have a very good lineup they really do and they have some good studs on there and it's you know you're definitely going to see um you know their timing might be on tomorrow might not that's just how it is sometimes teams have good timing sometimes they don't and I think it's just going to be you know how he's throwing 
especially if he's mixing up his pitches very well, because that actually helps, you know, throw off hitters. If he mixes up well, you know, doesn't use one pitch as much as the other, he's going to have a great day. But if he, you know, gets sloppy and leaves stuff over the zone, you know, Marlins are going to hit him. And I'm glad that you said that, Connor, because something that I've kind of looked at here in Ann's first start, in his first few starts this year, his first major league season, he walks a lot of people. And that all almost really messed him up in the NL wild card series. And the Marlins have some of the best plate discipline of any team in the playoffs. And I think that they're really going to use that to his advantage tomorrow, especially if they can rattle him, you know, really jump on his fastball early. I think that they're going to use that to their advantage and may even be able to, I don't want to say this, but may be able to rock him out of the game by the third inning. But I do hope that the Braves can – obviously win tomorrow and win in game three and go on and clinch that and sweep the Marlins and move on there. If you guys did not know, the Marlins have never lost a postseason series as they have made it as a wild card three years, that being 1997, 2003, and obviously 2020. They won the World Series in 97 and 03. And hopefully the Braves can make history by beating the Marlins in this best of five NLDS. Moving on, looking at the American League here, kind of, you know, straying away our focus from the Braves. The Astros have now taken a 2-0 lead over the Oakland Athletics. And if you guys could be in the room with us right now, you'd see two young gentlemen by the name of Zach Swindell and Connor Jelly shaking their heads. I think it's safe to say if you're a baseball fan and you don't live in Houston, you probably hate the Houston Astros. So to look and see that they have taken a 2-0 lead over the Oakland Athletics, over a team that I think most people would say that they might not even be a fan for, but they'd be rooting for. And not just because they're playing that, not just because they're playing Astros, excuse me, but their team, they're a low-funding team, they're a low-budget team, and they got guys out there who just play gritty every single year. And, and I really hate it for the athletics so far, but but to just continue on here, Jelly, we hadn't got your perspective on this. Really looking at that team, having the World Series experience that they've had over the past, you know, really three seasons, four seasons, do you think that they can carry that? And I know our bias is not, not wanting to come out here, but do you think they can take that and potentially go to the World Series? Well, here's the first thing. I will say this. If they do make it to the World Series, good for them. You know, obviously most of us don't want them to because of everything that happened last year with the cheating scandal and everything like that. But at the same time, you know, they are a well-developed and well-seniorized team. And by seniorized, I just mean they're – Got a lot of veteranship. Basically, all of those guys have played in the World Series at least once, you know. And when you have a whole team that's like that, they're going to be able to make plays in the playoffs. They're going to be able to hit in it because they know what it's, what it's about. They, they're calm. You know, they have this mindset that they're going, and we've been here before. You know, we still have the same guys that we did the entire time. And, you know, Altuve is struggling. You know, that's, that's no concern. I mean, Altuve has – had his worst year, I think, to date. But at the same time, you have the guys around him. Michael Brantley's hitting well. George Springer's starting to figure it out. You know, he's hitting well, too. And I think you're going to start seeing Correa really start popping off here soon in a minute. So, I mean, honestly, I think they have a shot at continuing on to win to the World Series. And their pitching is one of the main factors. Their pitching has been not the best, but, you know, they're holding certain teams to a very low-scoring game. And Framber Valdez, the starting pitcher for the Astros today, went seven innings, two earned runs, only gave up five hits and struck out four. Those two earned runs coming off two home runs on the A's bat. Good thing, though, they were only 
for their only solo home runs as Chris Davis and Mr. Chad Pender hit a hit homers for the Athletics today. I'm really glad that you pointed out George Springer there, Swindy. Kind of tie this all back to the Atlanta Braves. We all know that Marcelo Zuna is playing on a one-year contract, and we don't know what he's going to do next year. Obviously, as Braves fans, we would love to see him re-sign with the Braves. However, a guy by the name of George Springer is going to be on the free agent market next year, Swindy. How would you feel, you know, after he just hit two bombs today, drove in three in the Astros' victory, do you think that could be a potential guy to be starting that outfield next year for the Braves? I mean, that would be insane, an insane outfield with him, Ronnie, and then whoever else you want to put out in the outfield with them. Um, I know with the Astros, no one really likes them, no one likes their players, but I was actually talking to someone the other day, and I was like, the only person I actually do still enjoy watching or, like, I think is a good guy is George Springer. I think George Springer is one of the few on that team that's not really that cocky or not um, arrogant. And, like, I think he took his – he took his, like, like he apologized. He took it to heart. Like, he, he like – he actually felt something. I think most of the guys I'm seeing, like Correa, Altuve, I don't know about Altuve. I don't know if Correa was trying to um, deny, 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 deny. deny. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you got caught red-handed. The biggest thing you can do is just man up and own your mistakes. And I feel like George Springer did that, and he actually feels bad. I feel like he's one of the good, the better people in baseball. So that's one player from the Astros I wouldn't mind getting to come to the Braves and and play for them. And I agree with you 100%. I watched a documentary on George Springer one time, just kind of detailing everything that he's overcome to make it to Major League Baseball. Um, George Springer actually had a really bad, like, severe studying problem growing up, and just everything that he's kind of come over, and a very well-spoken well spoken, uh, man today, and just, you know, he struggled this year, and that's really what I've hated. I think that all of us, and I think I speak for the three of us in this room at least, that we don't really like Carlos Correa, and we really don't like Jose Altuve, because those were the two ringleaders of the whole cheating scandal, but a guy like George Springer, you really like what you know, there, Swindy, he took his punishment. He said, okay, I own up to this. I know I had my part in it, but I want to continue to play baseball. And I think that shows the true maturation of a man. And if he could put on that red, white, and blue, the Atlanta Braves next year, I would not mind one single bit. Now, Connor Jelly, I know you're a pretty big, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates fan, correct? So playing in the NL Central this year, I want to touch on this. Seven central teams combined between the American League and the National League, and all seven of those teams are eliminated in the wild card round. Now, I will ask you this. Do you think it's surprising at all? No, I don't. And Honestly, I think that side of Major League Baseball, I think it might be some of the weakest baseball in Major Leagues. I mean, you look at the competition everyone plays. I mean, over there, it's, I mean, it's still the Major Leagues, but at the same time, when you look at everybody around them, that part of the MLB might be one of the weakest sides. So, and I know y'all's roommate, Mr. Carter Ballstad, also a big Twins fan, and Twins have lost what is it now, eighteen consecutive playoff games. Just that's really what surprised me here to just continue to talk about baseball. The Twins losing, you know, the way that they lost as well. I mean, it it was almost like not to disrespect any Twins fans or, or Twin players if they do listen to this podcast, but I. It, it was almost like they don't even put up a fight when they get to the playoffs. They play all year. They play well all year. And then they get to the playoffs, and it's almost just like you lay your guard down. I mean, Swindy, watching the Twins, man, even not being a Twins fan and still living with my dad, Brandon Loftus, and he talks about how much he hates the Minnesota Twins because of the 1991 World Series. I still feel bad for them, man. Oh, dude. I mean, obviously, like we talked about, Carter Ballstadt, my roommate, is a huge Twins fan. So I sort of pull – for them when they're playing and whatnot 
And I, so I was pulling for them, especially because they're playing the Astros in the first round. And I was like, this is this is awesome. Like, if the Twins, like one of my teams I actually follow, know some of their players, if they can wipe them out in the first round, that'd be great. Yeah, like you said, it seemed like there was really – I mean, they the scores were not terrible, terrible bad, but I'd like to see – I thought – I mean, I think the Twins have one of the better lineups in baseball, oh, don't yeah. get me wrong. I mean, the Braves, Yankees, like these types of things, but you can't really beat – like, I don't know how – Verlander is their best player on the Astros, right? Gone. The Green Crew is starting game one, which he's sort of out of his prime. He's been very inconsistent. Yeah, and then their Astros lineup is a struggling lineup one through nine right now. And you and so I feel like you can't really be a struggling – I mean, obviously the Astros are doing a little bit different things now against the A's. They're getting high, but the whole season the Astros weren't really that good. I think they had – I think they were about below 500, I want 20, to say. 29 and 31. So, yeah, I do feel bad for the Twins. They can't really pull out the – you know, the wild card series win against a struggling Astros team and a team that most of America does does not like. We're going to keep Connor Jelly on the podcast as we transition from baseball to football. Connor Jelly, I hope he can join us on our radio show one day on Z98.7 FM. The midweek cycle every Wednesday at 4 p.m. I hope you guys continue to tune in. As I said earlier, on our radio show, it is exclusively about Major League Baseball and the Atlanta Braves. We're going to talk about some more of the hot topics on our radio show on Wednesday about how the Braves are playing and how we think Zach and I can build the momentum up and potentially make a World Series run. Before we do transition to football right quick, Connor Jelly, who's your World Series pick? World Series pick. If I had to choose, looking at the teams right now, I would not be surprised if we saw uh, a the Yankees because mm-hmm. they are dominating right now. And uh, ooh, National League is tough. You know, I honestly, you'd have to come back to me on the National League right now. I like it. I know we were watching. I was watching. The- pregame for the Braves and the Marlins game one and every single person on there picked the Yankees Dodgers World Series whether it was the Yankees or the Dodgers winning kind of alternated out between that but they picked one of those uh they picked both of those teams with one of the two teams obviously to win so moving in NFL football here staying with kind of Connor Jelly's favorite teams Indianapolis Colts fan and not only that a huge Indianapolis Colts fan I mean the Colts they they played – I think the, the, the offense didn't play as well as they have been this past week, obviously. But our boy, Rodrigo Blankenship, hot rod from the Georgia Bulldogs, played – stayed down in Athens for five seasons. Go dogs, Go dogs, Has outscored every single team that the Colts have played this year by himself. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, the Colts have lost one game. Yes. But Hot Rod outscored every single opponent by himself. And he did not get drafted. And he did not get drafted. So, Connor Jelly, looking at you and asking you that, how do you feel about the way your Colts have started 3-1? and one? Best defense in the entire league. Entire league. Hands down, entire league. I mean, yes, we're, we're a bit rough on the offense. But, you know, we've added some new pieces and we lost – Marlon Mack in the first game, you know, of the year. So that was tough, Achilles injury. And then, you know, we had uh, two more guys go down with certain injuries. I mean, they were key players too, especially on the defensive side. You had Malik Hooker go down for a little bit. You know, I think he might be out for a couple more weeks or something like that. Um, 
But, you know, our offense, you know, is good, but it can get better, which is the scary part, especially with Jonathan Taylor, maybe. Jonathan Taylor, the man is a – he is a man among boys is what he looks like when he runs the ball. It's disgusting watching him. Honestly, Colts offense is going to get better throughout the year. Our defense, if they stay like that, I'm telling you right now, Colts might make the Super Bowl this year. Honestly, I'm just telling you right now. And, you know, I don't think you're too far-fetched from there because I think Phillip Rivers joined the Colts in a pursuit of a ring. Obviously, he's fell short in two AFC Championship games while playing with the Chargers. And he joined a team in which you say, I'm not necessarily going to agree nor disagree with the best defense. Definitely top five, though. I, you can't argue that right now. And defense does win championships. I will correct myself. Hot Rod has beaten the last three games. Hot Rod has outscored all three of the other teams. Against the Vikings, Hot Rod had 14 points. The Vikings had 11. Against the Jets, Hot Rod had 10 points by himself. The Jets had seven. And against the Bears, the Bears, Hot Rod had 13. And the Bears had 11. So we talked on our previous podcast in episode one. And both of you guys can win here. I know Swindy being an avid Falcons fan. He'll definitely want to weigh in on this. We both agreed that Dan Quinn <laughs> should be fired. It's not a matter of if but when. Uh, it should be now. It should be now. That's what I said. But since we last recorded, Dan Quinn has yet to be fired. So that's not the question I'm going to ask you. We all, we all think we all agree. I think, you know, 95% of the Rise Up Nation agrees that he should be fired as well. It's not the question I'm going to ask you. The question I'm going to ask you is, obviously, we don't know who will be his interim coach when he is fired. But who do you think – any potential head coaching candidates in your head that the Falcons could go after for the 2021 season? Um, Either college or professional. That's tough. Uh, I heard a lot about um, Lincoln Riley when he, like when obviously that's the head coach for Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma. And I heard he was going to try to transition to NFL or NFL teams were looking at him to become a coach. And he's done great things for the Oklahoma program. Great quarterbacks in the system. Offensive minded. Yeah. Well. So I mean, that's that's. I'm a huge college football fan. That's usually what I focus on more. I mean, I, I love the NFL. I love sports in general. But college football, I know a lot more about. I'm. I watched most of the most of the games in college football. So that's. I would. I would want to be opposed to the Falcons. Maybe looking at him, interviewing him, maybe for the starting um, head coaching job for the Falcons. I think that'd be a really cool look. I think he could do well. I think he can uh, work well with Matt Ryan and there and Julio Jones to the two great offensive playmakers there for the um, Falcons. So I think he would work well with their offense and then overall. I agree. And a guy that's really popped out a lot on Twitter and a guy that I agree with is the current offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy. And excuse me if I didn't say that right, but not, not really well pronouncing there. But, you know, a guy who's helped coach Patrick Mahomes to Super Bowl ring, to MVP, to a Super Bowl MVP now. And I just feel like that would be a great look especially if you could get that guy out of Clemson. What's his name? Oh, wait, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, jeez. 0-4. The Falcons looking like a great, <laughs> great potential number one pick in next year's draft. You do have Matt Ryan, and he's still got a few years left in the tank, I believe. Connor Jelly, do you believe that the Falcons should sell and get rid of Matt Ryan and go pursue that guy from Clemson? I mean, if you think about it like this, the Colts kind of have the same situation going on. Right. Right. You brought in uh, Phillip Rivers, season better, in a 17th year right now. Um, and then you draft Jacob Eason, who honestly might end up being one of the diamond in the roughs from the draft. 
Jacobs. He's linky. He's got the strong arm. You know, he's mobile. And I think he could do the same situation in Atlanta if that situation occurs. You know, keep Matt Ryan, you know, draft Trevor Lawrence, allow Trevor to learn from Matt, you know, and that will give him more of an IQ and allow him to be better off in the future. But at the same time, you know, while you're having Matt help Trevor along in his NFL career, maybe look for potential trades, you know, maybe look for options outside of, you know, keeping Matt there. And I think that's something that the Green Bay Packers are going to do as well, leading us into the undefeateds left in the NFL right now. That would be the Green Bay Packers, the Seattle Seahawks, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Titans and the Steelers are both still undefeated because neither team played. They were supposed to play each other, but the game was canceled or postponed, excuse me, due to COVID-19. So we might as well say 4-0 teams would be your Buffalo Bills, the Green Bay Packers, and the Seattle Seahawks, and I'm just talking about with with Aaron Rodgers and, and Jordan Love there, kind of comparing that to the Jacob Beeson, Philip Rivers, and then the Matt Ryan potential Trevor Lawrence whole situation there. But the whole thing different there from Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love is that the Packers used a first-round draft pick on a guy when they needed skill position at the wide receiver. I mean, their number one receiver right now with Devontae Adams out is Alan Lazard. And if you're not a diehard NFL fan, you don't know who Alan Lazard is. Not saying he's not good. I mean, he's going off for, you know, about at least a touchdown and 100 yards every week. But that could be contributed to Aaron Rodgers and his play. Do you guys, either one of you that wants to go here, do y'all think that Aaron Rodgers is potentially playing, you know, maybe mad to stay in Green Bay for the long run here? Yeah, I mean, I think they messed up by drafting a quarterback like you were just talking about, especially with the first-round pick. And especially with Jordan Love and things that they drafted this past year, pretty much a nobody in college football. Obviously, college NFL, you hear about it all the time. You don't – it's about tools and who you have around you. So, Jordan Love could be one of the next greats. Who knows? No one knows that yet. But it was my opinion. I would have obviously drafted, you know, a wide receiver for him, some, some offensive weapon for him. There's tons in that class. So, they could – C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys. Like, he's one of – probably going to be one of the best wide receivers in that class leading forward. But if you didn't drive wide receiver, I would drive, I would have personally drafted Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to be a low key, really good at football. I think he's proved it to himself in college at two different, really two different programs with Alabama and Oklahoma, and uh, the Eagles end up getting him with a struggling Carson Wentz, by the way. So I think he might emerge this season and win a few games. And I like that you brought up the wide receiver position there because something that it was really noted in this year's draft was the plethora of wide receivers drafted in the first round. I mean, just going through them right here, you know, like you said, you're talking about your C.D. Lambs, your Jerry Judys, your Henry Ruggs, your, you know, even your Jalen Raiders of the world, your Justin Jeffersons, Brandon Ayuk taking one pick before Jordan Love. I mean, there were so many, you know, receivers there. And then you slide on into the second round with T. Higgins and Connor Jelly's boy, Michael Pittman Jr., taking 34th overall. I really think that as much as I like Jordan Love and I think he's going to be a star in this league, I really think the Packers could have used a better pick there, especially moving up to get Jordan Love there. Connor, I want to touch on this and we can move on to the NBA basketball and the NBA finals. The other two Florida teams right now in the Buffalo Bills and the Seattle Seahawks, one could potentially make the argument that the starting quarterbacks on both of those teams are the front runners for the MVP and that being Josh Allen and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is MVP candidate year in and year out. So we kind of can stay away from him 
But Josh Allen, a guy that, and not trying to be rude or, or be, you know, derogatory here in any way, but a guy that absolutely made some boneheaded decisions in the AFC wildcard game last year that almost inevitably cost them the game. And the Texans were able to somehow salvage a drop in the fourth quarter, were able to salvage a Josh Allen, you know, pitch back. I mean, and, and I don't know how the Texans won that game. Don't I mean, the Bills gave it to them, and then the Bills tried to kind of trake it back, and Josh Allen was kind of in the middle of all that. So all that to say this, Josh Allen has come out this year and done nothing short of amazing and put himself second in the MVP race. Do you think he can win it? And do you think that the Bills can make a Super Bowl run? Well, I'll start with this. The Bills have had a good team for the last few seasons. And what they needed was, you know, that team to kind of play together a little bit more. You know, because especially with football, the more you your team plays together, the more, you know, camaraderie you have, especially in the offensive line, um, the defensive line, defensive backs, all that stuff. But I think the difference between this year and last year for the Bills is the fact that Josh Allen, um, you know, that was kind of his first, you know, real run in the NFL, you know. And I think this year he's learned from mistakes that he made last season. He's grown up. He's matured at, at a quarterback position in the NFL, which is one of the most, you know, brain-dominant positions. you got to know every position, every play, every all of that. you got to know defensive defensive formations, and you got to be able to see it all and react to it within milliseconds in a play. I think what he's doing is nothing short of amazing when it comes to the play that he showed last year. He showed his potential, and now he's just proving it this year. Honestly, he's making throws that he didn't make last year. He's making decisions that he wouldn't have made last year. And I think what he's doing is he's actually putting the entire Buffalo Bills team on his back right now and carrying them to all these wins. Because if you look at it and the wins that they've had, he's made the plays that got them the wins, especially either, you know, just so, like sealed the deal or gave them the win, honestly. And I agree with you because looking at the last few years, under the Sean McDermott coach team, their defense has been what's heavily carried them. And now, like you're saying, Connor, continue on and piggyback off that. It has really been Josh Allen carrying the heavy, heavy work there and really playing good, good football. Staying on the topic here of football, but transferring to college here, kind of talked about on the last episode what was going on with Oklahoma. We talked about how well Georgia's defense has been. Connor Jelly, I want to ask you right here on the spot, Looking at the top ten here, I'll give them off to you. At Clemson at number one, Alabama at number two, UGA at number three, Florida at four, Notre Dame at five, Ohio State at six, who has yet to play a football game. Let me point that out to you. Miami at seven, UNC at eight, Penn State at nine, who has also yet to play a football game this year, and Oklahoma State at ten. So out of those teams, or if you want to go with another team, who has been your biggest surprise to you in the college football season so far? Honestly, the fact that Georgia is still up there in those rankings in the top five, I'm not going to lie to you. Wow. I'm not going to lie. Look, hey. Wow. No, no disrespect, but Georgia is a completely different football team this year than what they were last year, right? They're, they're winning games. They are. But they are not the same team. And honestly, when they see higher-level competition, I don't think they're going to win many games. And, you know, that's a good point there, Connor Jelly, and it might be – my bias coming out here, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I really do think they have the best defense in college football. Offensively here, 
I think that looking at the dogs, dogs had had a really good offense since Aaron Murray left and declared for the draft. I'll be honest here. They haven't had one, you know, and that's been what, five, six, seven years now. So really under Kirby Smart, Kirby has built a heavy run offense and built a really heavy defensive team. So looking at that, Swindy, based off the comments of your good pal, Connor Jelly there, he's not my good pal right now, but your good pal, Connor Jelly, do you think Georgia is, well, a fraud in kind of his words? I mean, I get where he's coming from. Um, that first game was a little shaky, but we end up having – I think I saw a stat, the, the, uh, the win margin that we had against Arkansas was the biggest in SC that week. And I think Alabama played like Mississippi State. So there's other teams that were supposed to kill other people. So, I, as a, I mean, we played two games. Jelly could very well be right. Who knows? Because it was all SEC schedule. We had to play all the best teams, right? But we could also win out or go 9-1. I think we're playing 10 games – or Coach Wells playing 10 games this year. Uh, what I wanted to say, though, is I think the biggest game for Georgia this year might be the biggest game in college football, technically, because I don't think Clemson is going to play anybody. Uh, Alabama's going to do their well, Clemson thing. is playing Miami on Saturday, so that will okay. be huge. And UNC is also on their schedule, but continue on that. Yeah, but I think the biggest game for Georgia, maybe in college football, is going to be uh, Georgia-Florida, which is always a pretty big game all every year. It's like rivalry um, type thing for Georgia and Florida there. But Florida's looked amazing, honestly. The Kyle Trash is – Trash. Trask has been, uh, <laughs> I think, Heisman frontrunner right now. So – I think Georgia Florida, I think they play in a few weeks. I think that's going to be the biggest game of the year. And whoever wins that might be in a playoff spot. And I will also say this as well Georgia's schedule not getting any easier on the way out. They play against the Tennessee Volunteers on Saturday, October the 10th. Tennessee been a team that has really been improved um, from the same volunteer team we've seen over the past five years. Then, probably. Game of the year might just be game of the decade so far. UGA goes down to Tuscaloosa and plays on October the 17th. Georgia will then travel to Kentucky. And then the game Zach Swindell was just talking about the week after that on November the 7th, the dogs go down to Florida, go into Jacksonville and meet UF about halfway up. The next week they play Missouri. The dogs play Missouri. I think that will be a good, good win right there. Then the dogs play against Mississippi State and Heisman. I guess you could say candidate right now, K.J. Costello. The Dogs will then finish off the South Carolina Gamecocks and the Vanderbilt Commodores. So, eight games left here, and out of those eight games right now, uh, one, two, three, three opponents are ranked, and four opponents have been ranked on the schedule. So, I, I think it's going to be a uh, – definitely think they have a hard schedule out, but I still think that they'll – I think that they'll split with Florida and Alabama. I think they'll beat one of them and lose to the other. And I think they'll inevitably finish the season nine and one. I want to stick with college football here, Connor Jelly. I know you're from Indianapolis, Indiana, for the people, the listeners that do not know that. And you're an avid Big Ten fan, correct? So really looking at the Big Ten this year, no surprises. I think we all agree that Ohio State is going to win. But Minnesota really came on last year. And do you think that they could challenge them at any point in the season for the Big Ten trophy? Uh, you know, the thing is, though, is that Ohio State, the last five seasons, have been very dominant offensively and defensively. They've had one of the better all-around teams that you can possibly think of in the college football. Uh, Minnesota came around on the offensive side last year. Uh, defensive side kind of seemed to have its – have its troubles a little bit here and there. Um, I think 
for Minnesota if they just tweak a few things on the defensive side and kind of maybe show that they have a few more, you know, key pieces on the offensive side, like playmakers that can just really make absolute plays. I think they have a shot at challenging Ohio State, but just not this year. And I'd have to agree with you there. I love P.J. Fleck. Love what he done in Western Michigan. But I just don't see it as a reality of anyone challenging Ohio State right now on that Ryan Day and Justin Field-led football team. As we said earlier, guys, if you want to continue listening to us on here, tune in to Z98.7 FM on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. to hear the midweek cycle with Zach Swindell and Brett Loft. Just hear all about the Atlanta Braves and Major League Baseball. Moving on here to one of our last few topics today, NBA basketball. And we also want to thank Connor Jelly for being on here today. Uh, Connor Jelly is a good friend of the show, a good friend of Zach Swindell, and we always thank Connor for being on. Yeah, appreciate you guys for having me. At some point, have it back on, you know. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely appreciate Connor and Mr. Jelly for being on. So, Swindy, looking at here and looking at the NBA Finals, we've talked about it. We've talked about the history of LeBron, you know, this being LeBron's 10th NBA Finals, his, his 10th appearance. You know, he's 3-6 and six so far in his nine appearances. Before, you made the comment in the previous episode that you think, you know, LeBron's obviously not invincible. And 2-1, to one, they're up right now. And you said Lakers and Six earlier today. Do you think LeBron is going to get potentially exposed in any of these last few games? Oh, man. I, I, I like LeBron James. I think he's one of the best athletes ever. Like, just from an athletic standpoint, as an athlete like him, I think he's one of the best ever. Um, If he does end up choking these finals away, I think it would be a choke at this point if they went up 2-0 and the team that he should be able to carry this team to a finals win. Uh, if he does choke this finals away, I think he's going to get a lot, a lot, a lot of heat. He already does get a ton of heat. For losing the finals he's lost before, which I don't, I can't really blame him on that. He's been in ten of them, um, but if he does lose this one, he's gonna have. He's, there, there's gonna be some problems. People are gonna roast him. Uh, Stephen A. Smith will be all over him. All these people that you know are continually um, talking, talking down on LeBron James. Which it's hard for one man to uh, take that much heat after all the things he's done for the game of basketball and the accomplishments he's made in basketball. So I, I'm I, I'm really rooting for him here to win this one, so people can sort of lay off his back, and so he can enjoy this one. And who knows, he might not ever win another one. I don't know how many years he le has left in him. I mean, he's obviously playing at a high level right now, but I don't know how long he's going to play. So we'll see. Uh, I hope he really. I'm really pulling for him to win this one in the Lakers. And then our other NBA segment I want to touch on here. We didn't touch on it in the previous episode. Would be the Sixers signing of Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, you know, in his first ever year as NBA head coach was coach of the year in 2000, you know, obviously went to the finals and won a championship with that really good Boston Celtics team he had. Could never do nothing with Lob City in L.A. with the Clippers and then couldn't do anything the past year with Kawhi and PG, and he was inevitably let go as head coach. Do you think that he can bring a championship to the city of Philadelphia? Um, I think – so he coached the Clippers, like you said, and with Kawhi, obviously won the championship the year before and one of the best basketball players on the planet – as of right now, so I, I mean, that's hard if you can't win with them or at least go farther into the playoffs than they did. Um, it's gonna be tough to win it in Philadelphia. I don't even know really who's Phil oh, they have um, Embiid and Simmons and all those guys. I think they, I think they, the 76ers need one more piece to make that team complete to make it a, maybe a super team or to a team that goes to the finals. Nowadays, 
teams that go to the finals that you know they got i mean the heat actually surprised me but teams that go to the finals nowadays are you know you have the kd Kyrie. they'll probably be a huge threat next year lebron ad um golden state will be back on top of steph and clay probably getting healthy again so yeah i, I mean 76ers i think need one more piece and i think if doc rivers gets that piece i think he can bring them to a championship to be honest with you brett and then now, uh, transferring into our vintage segment here, we noted in the previous episode that Zach was going to bring one of either his favorite or most influential players on this episode and kind of talk about him. Swindy, who you got today? So, like we, we were talking about, um, this, I'm just going to go back to baseball a little bit. We were talking about the great Chipper Jones. So, we're going to talk about the other Jones. For you all, you don't know who this is. Andrew Jones, if you're a Braves fan or – maybe even a baseball fan, you should probably know who he is. That's my all-time favorite player um, ever, and he always will be. There's nothing ever going to change that because I grew up a Braves fan. I was from Atlanta, and uh, right when I got to the age where I started knowing the actual players, uh, Andrew Jones was in his prime for the Braves. He was hitting home runs. He was stealing bases, making incredible catches um, in center field. So uh, that's just a guy I've always admired and loved the way he played the game. Um, that's why I, my favorite, I don't get to wear number 25 here because this jersey is extra large and, you know, I can't really fill that one out. But I wore 25 my whole life just because Andrew Jones is um, – I love the guys. Um, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't want to sort of get into you with that, Brett, if that's okay. Oh, no, he should what, be. What your predictions he, he, are. He's the greatest defensive outfielder ever played a game of baseball, bar none, bar Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., talk Mike Trout, talk Kenny Lofton, Marquise Grissom, Del Murphy, even, you want to talk about Braves-wise, he's the greatest defensive outfielder ever played a game of baseball. Ten consecutive gold gloves, 425 career home runs. I, I just don't understand how you couldn't put him in the Hall of Fame. He was robbed of an MVP award in 2005 by Albert Pujols. I just feel like maybe not first ballot, but I definitely think that Andrew Jones should go in the Hall of Fame. My dad and I talk about it all the time. He's the greatest defensive outfielder to ever play the game of baseball. I mean, just go on YouTube. If you didn't get to watch him play with the Braves, just go on YouTube and watch his highlights. It didn't even look like he was running in center field. It looked like he was gliding, nonetheless. I mean, and he, he had a cannon for an arm. He had best – like, I can't emphasize enough how great he was as a defender. And then he goes out, what he did in the 1996 World Series as a 19-year-old, hits two home runs in game one. I mean, in, in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. It's just I don't understand how he only got what was it nine percent of the vote last year. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I I don't get it. I don't understand it. This is not my Braves bias coming out either. I truly believe Andrew Jones the greatest defender. You could potentially say at any position, but we're going to stick with outfield um, because I think another Braves great, Greg Maddox. You know, he won eighteen Gold Gloves. I think you could also make an argument for him. But yes, Wendy. Andrew Jones, I, I, I was surprised to hear that he was your favorite player, but but pleasantly surprised. He's he's one of my dad's favorite players, so I'm I'm with you on that. Great, great player, one of your greatest players of all time. So that about wraps it up for episode two of the midweek cycle on the go. Please tune in every Wednesday on Z98.7 FM, the student or radio station at Piedmont College to hear midweek cycle with Zach Swindell and Brett Loftus on the radio. And as always, continue to tune in on here. If you guys want to listen to us or if you guys are on instagram go to at the midweek cycle on instagram and follow us there so when do you got anything else you want to say to the people as we wrap up episode two um go dogs go braves um thank y'all for tuning in if y'all do tune in 
Uh, we love talking about this kind of stuff. So if you like Brett said, hit us up with some questions. I really want to push y'all to ask us a question. Maybe we can talk about it and get into a big topic about it. So appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for listening. I hope all of you stay safe out there and hope all of you be well and I hope God blesses all of you. Thank you all for listening.